ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 22 together. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. It's always good to follow along. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that one uh, as a gift from the Lord. But this morning in Matthew chapter 22, we begin reading here in verse 34. And it says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. This morning as we study our text together. We're going to see, first of all, the greatest commandment. And then secondly, we're going to see the greatness of Christ. First, we're going to look at the priority. And second, we're going to look at the identity. The first thing we see here in verses 34 through 40 is the greatest commandment. Again, there in verse 34, we see that the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. And so they gathered together. And it says there in verse 35 that one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. And he came to Jesus with this heart. Now, if you read the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, where we have in verses 28 through 37, the harmony of this event, what you'll find is that when this lawyer came to the Lord, he had an element of testing, but there was also an element of truth. There was a little combination there. You know, it says in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, that one of them, a scribe, he's also a lawyer, came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, and he asked him. And it's kind of cool, you guys, when you come to the Lord, I pray that you guys, that we come to the Lord this morning with a, with a true heart, with a sincere heart, you know, that we want to come today and say, Lord, what's the word for me? Today, I'm not here for any other reason. I'm not here to check off my box, my list of things to do from the religious perspective. You know, I went to church on Sunday, that type of thing. No, Lord, I'm here in truth. Lord, speak to me. And that's kind of in one sense how this lawyer came. Although there was an element of testing, I think that the testing, when you put the Gospels together, was true. And so this lawyer comes to the Lord. And this is kind of a cool thing when you think about it because this lawyer was an expert in the law. He was an expert in the Mosaic law. The Greek word for law is nomos. The Greek word for lawyer is nomikos. And so this is an interpreter and a teacher of the Mosaic law. So this guy was very educated, um, just like a lawyer of today. Brilliant man, has gone to school, you know, uh, just a smart guy 
from a human perspective. And when you look at the lawyers in the New Testament, kind of like today, most of them weren't really good, you know. Um, a lot of them just wanted money. When you read the New Testament, you find in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, that the lawyers rejected the will of God. If you turn over to Luke 11 real quick, look at a few verses here regarding lawyers. In Luke 11, it says in verse 45, Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, you by saying these things, you reproach us also. And so Jesus said, I'm sorry. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> look at verse 46. The Lord said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. The lawyers usually in the New Testament did not have a good testimony. As a matter of fact, if you go over to Luke 11, verse 52, the Lord says again, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. And so, in a general perspective, the lawyers were not good. But this guy right here, he, he kind of comes a, a little different. And he comes with this incredible question there in verse 36 in Matthew 22. He says, Lord, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, the word great is the Greek word megas, and it means great in rank, great in stature, in level, in order. Now, in those days, this was a prominent question. Believe it or not, the religious leaders of those days, they had many conversations. It was an endless debate as far as what was the greatest law of all. It was not something new. As a matter of fact, it's documented that they would go round and round with this. They had 613 commandments in the law that they had identified, 248 positive, 365 negative. And they would discuss this issue as far as which one was the greatest commandment in the law. And so nothing new. Jesus here even dealt with it earlier in his ministry in Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at that later. But it's kind of cool today to be able to come together today and be reminded, you guys, of what is the greatest commandment in the law. You know, and that's not just a suggestion. Um, it's not, you know, an option. It's good for us to come today. And I know it's something we probably already know, but I'll bet you it's something that we tend to forget or neglect. Like, what is the, the greatest commandment in the law? Now, some of you here would say, well, the greatest commandment is to pray. That's the greatest commandment. And so, you know, when you're not praying like you should, you really feel like a second-class Christian, you know? And some of us here would say, well, the greatest commandment is to read the Bible. And so if you haven't read your chapters, your quota, maybe you don't really feel like you're doing as good as you should do. And other people's the greatest commandment is to go to church or whatever it is, you know? And all those things are so important. But if they're not really understood in their order, in the list of priorities in God's eyes, then we're going to get really confused and we're really going to get uh, frustrated and discouraged as Christians. You know, the Lord gives us here the greatest commandment of all. And he says right here, it is to love the Lord your God, to love him with all your heart, if you read Mark, it's with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. When you harmonize the Gospels, you find that Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. 
He said the Shema. He gave the commandment. This is what he says in Mark 12, verse 29. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so, can I ask you a question today? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength? Okay, I'm not going to ask you whether or not you prayed today. I'm not going to ask you whether or not you read today. I'm not going to ask you whether or not you went to church because you're here. I don't have to ask that question. (laughs) The question is, do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord with all your heart? That's the volitional part of you, your will. Do you love the Lord with all your soul? That's the emotional part of you, your passions. Do you love the Lord with all your mind? That's the intellectual part of you. Your thoughts, your meditations, your beliefs. Do you love the Lord with all your strength? That's a physical part of you. That's your body. Is that how you love the Lord? You see, it's so important for us to understand what the greatest commandment is. Not that we can necessarily love the Lord perfectly on this side of time. I mean, you know, I try to, and sometimes, you know, I I get kind of bummed out and I get frustrated when I don't really, you know, walk that perfect walk. And, you know, I say, Lord, I'm so sorry I blew it again, you know. And the Lord just says, well, I I, I still love you. You know, you're going to have this struggle until you die. One day you'll be set free from this body of death. And so even though you can't walk perfectly, you need to walk properly. And you need to give me, Manny, your heart. I want ownership of your heart, your will. I want ownership of your body. I want ownership of your mind. I want ownership of your soul. You see, this is the greatest commandment, you guys, to love the Lord our God with everything that we are. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Moses' last words, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. What God wants us to do is to love Him. The Greek word is agapeo. And in biblical language, it means it's an unselfish love. It's an outgoing affection. It's a tenderness for someone else without necessarily expecting anything in return. It seeks their best, their highest, based on the inclination of our heart. And we as Christians uh, need to know our priorities You know, and I really want to encourage you guys to love the Lord, man, to be able to say that with all your heart, you love him, with all your mind, you love him, with all your soul, with all your strength, to be able to say that and to walk in that type of life, to be like David, who the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart and that he would do all his will. You see, that's really where we need to be. That's what loving the Lord is all about. You know, and some people will point over to John chapter 14, and we're going to get there in verse 15, where Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And so what they'll say is that if you know you obey the Lord, then that is, you know, loving the Lord. But that is not 
loving the Lord. Obeying the Lord is a byproduct of loving the Lord. Some people do all the right things. They cross all their T's. They dot all their I's. But it doesn't necessarily mean they love the Lord. And, you know, from an external perspective, it has to be deeper. You know how it is. You know, and we could take this and we can kind of give it a smaller comparison, I guess. It's an infinite difference. But, you know, even looking at human relationships, you know, some guys will like some of you gals, some of you single gals, right? You know, they, they bust the move and they make the phone call. They might ask you out on a date or whatever, you know. And, you know, you might maybe be a friend with them or maybe you might hang out with them, but they want to take that relationship to the next level. And, you know, you're checking your heart and you're like, you know what? I don't have that type of affection towards them. I don't have that type of feeling towards them. I don't love them like that. And that's how relationships work, you know, and... I know that's really a lot different than, you know, our relationship with God. But, you know, when you love the Lord like that, with that agape love, with that deep love, with that spiritual love, where he has your body, he has your mind, he has your passions, he has your heart, where you really love him like that, then you will obey him, John 14, verse 15 says. But don't think that just because you did that external, you know, ritual, that that proves your love. It's deeper. It's just a reality, really, of what's going on in our hearts. I just pray, you guys, we would know the greatest commandment of all, you know. The other day I had the opportunity to teach a men's study at one of the local churches. And it was so cool, you know, we're going through Second Peter And, um, you know, it was neat because Peter, after so many years of ministry, he said, you know what, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them, as long as I'm in this tent, I'm going to keep reminding you. And I'm going to make sure that after I die, you have others that will remind you. You see, you know, being a right-on Christian doesn't necessarily mean you come to church and you discover something new. You know, chances are if it's new, it's not true. A lot of times being a Christian is just reminding ourselves of the basics of life, the priorities of life. And the priority for us as Christians is not to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. The priority of of a Christian is to love the Lord. And you know, we know whether or not we love him or we don't. I can kind of sometimes, you know, from a human perspective, almost see it in the way that you sing. Some people, when they sing, there is just no passion there's no life there's no like relationship there and i don't know for sure i'm just a human i don't know but i know i see others singing to god from their hearts and that's the difference you know you can have the best voice you can be an opera star but you can tell some people are not really singing to god I just pray that we would live our life with passion, that we would live our life with the love that God wants us to have, that we would know the priorities. You know, when you get your bills each month, right? Okay, some of us here, are, you know, get a lot of bills, unfortunately, and some of you here don't have a lot of money. And so you're like, okay, what do I do? What bill do I pay? Well, you, you know, you check the priorities. Well, you're going to pay your house bill, right? Otherwise, what? You're going to get kicked out. You know, you're going to pay your car bill because otherwise you might not have a car to drive. You're going to pay your electricity bill, but you might not pay, you know, the cell phone. You don't really need a cell phone or just whatever it is. You know, you take the priorities and you make what's first, first. And in our life, 
for us as Christians, the first commandment of all is to love the Lord our God with everything that we are. Please don't be, you know, half-hearted in this. Let's really love the Lord the way that we should. Not only loving God, but it's kind of interesting. The Lord gives this guy a little bit more than he asked for because they're so closely connected. Although they are, you know, first and second, you've got to love the Lord more than anyone else. They are attached nonetheless. And that's why he quotes from Leviticus 19.18. Look what he says there in verse 38. The first and great commandment, that's what it is. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Warren Wiersbe said this, Love for God cannot be divorced from love for one's neighbor. Like I was sharing with you earlier, you know, you love the Lord, you're going to sing to the Lord, and it's going to be passionate, and it will be soul. It will be emotional. It's not emotionally based, but it will be real. And that's a litmus test, you know, obedience, passion. But another litmus test is whether or not you love people. Our love for God must issue in love for men. Of course, we know the order to love God first, but we need to know that we must love man second. You know, I just think it's a great definition of what Christianity really is. That if there is real love for God, then there will inevitably be real love for neighbors. God's overflowing love in our life will be infectious and will spill out into other lives. You know, the criterion of whether or not we love God is whether or not we love others. And we see that many times in the Bible. We see in James chapter 2, verse 8, it says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then you do well. You know, we can't be here today. You can't be here today with hatred in your heart toward anyone thinking that you have love for God. I'm sorry, you can't. You can't. You're, 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 you're gambling with your eternity. If you hate people, you can't say you love God. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not know, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? This commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. And so we come today really with the priorities of life. And I think it's so cool. I don't know about you, but I appreciate lists and I appreciate clarity. And I appreciate the Lord being able to share with us today what the greatest commandment is. And that is what? To love God and to love our neighbor. There are two sides of the same coin. And that's really where it's at. First John 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we go to church. No, that's not what it says. It says, Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And so check your heart. One day we're going to die. You're going to step over into eternity. Stop hating anyone right now. If you continue in your hatred, then you might not go to heaven. You've got to love everyone. You've got to love your neighbor. That's what the Bible says. And here the Lord says, really, this is a synopsis of everything. He says in verse 40, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
The word hang, it means to be summed up. It means to suspend in this context. That's the scripture of the Old Testament. And, you know, you read Romans chapter 13, verse 9. It's really the synopsis of the New Testament as well. He says in Romans 13, verse 9, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There they are. It's all summed up there. Galatians 5, 14, same thing. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some people say, well, I don't love myself. Yes, you do. Did you eat today? Yeah, you probably did, if you were hungry anyways. It doesn't matter if it was a Pop-Tart or, you know, we're going to have ribeye steak for the men's breakfast. You feed yourself. You dress yourself. You bathe yourself. We do love ourselves. That's not the issue. The issue is whether or not we love our neighbor as ourself. You know, and what does it mean to love our neighbor You know, and that's kind of a tough one sometimes, you know. What does it mean to love our neighbor? Well, I know John 3.16 kind of gives us an answer. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Number one, I believe if you love your neighbor, you care about them spiritually. You do. You're going to pray for them. You're going to reach out to them. You're going to point them to Jesus Christ. If there's anyone that you know who doesn't know the Lord and you don't care for them spiritually, eternally, heaven and hell, then you don't love them. Another thing is to love them not only spiritually, meeting those spiritual needs, but I believe true love from a Christian's heart is a willingness to meet their physical needs as well. As a matter of fact, over in Luke chapter 10, that's what Jesus explicitly taught Regarding this, if you want to turn there to Luke chapter 10. And I know this is a familiar story to you, but look what it says in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jericho, Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. And so the Lord said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said to him, he who showed mercy on him. 
And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The two greatest commandments, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the other side of that coin, that creed, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, this lawyer right here wanted more details. Well, kind of give me some details. Who's my neighbor? How does this whole thing work out? And so the Lord, what? He brought this story of the Good Samaritan. Now, you guys know the context. Most of you probably do. But just in case you don't, the Jews in those days, they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritan, they hated the Jews. Just like, you know, sometimes we have struggles with people. They're mean to you. They look down on you. They've mistreated you. They've abused you, whatever it is. Does that give you the right to not love them? Does that give you the right to hate them? Absolutely not. That's why the Lord told this parable right here. He says you've got to love them, even them. Not just saying, okay, hi, I love you, but getting involved in their life. Here we see that this Jew right here was on the ground ready to die. The priest passed by. He didn't care because he didn't want to be ceremonially unclean. Neither did the Levite. They passed by on the other side, probably thinking of themselves, thinking of danger. But the Samaritan of all people, he passes by. You know, the religious people would think, oh, he doesn't know the Lord. This Samaritan, when he dies, he's going to hell. No, he's not. He's not going to hell because he really loves A lot of people who go to church, they think they're saved. They don't really know the Lord because they don't really have his love in their heart. The Samaritan knew the Lord. He took him. He took care of him. He tended to his knees. He bandaged him. He put him on his beast and he took him to the end and he paid for him. He helped him. He got involved with his life. You see, that's what love is. I mean, I believe it is a feeling. I believe it does have kind of like that emotional element to it sometimes. Not always, but I believe it means going beyond that and getting involved with people's lives. And that's really what the Lord wants us to be doing as Christians. The Lord said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It doesn't matter if you're washing their feet like the Lord did in John 13 or if you're nailed to a cross like Jesus was in John chapter 19. Whatever it is God calls you to do, you've got to love them. And I, again, it, all, it just goes back again to whether or not love resides inside of you. Either it does or it doesn't. You can't pretend. Either it, it's there or it's not there. And if it's not there, if this is not the way you're living your life, please look deeper. Make sure you know the Lord. You know, because, you know, some of us here, we see needs. We don't get involved. You know, and some of us here see physical needs and, you know, we can't get involved um, because you don't have any money. I know some of you here, you don't have any money, and you're good stewards, you still don't have any money. You're making it, you're still alive, but you can't get involved financially. Well, even if you can't pay, you can pray, right? And I believe at least, at least pray. But then if you can, pay. Pay financially, or pay whatever it is. Get 
involved. Your neighbor is the one that God brings into your path. And then he's trying to reveal to you where your heart's at. See, this is really what it's all about. This is the great commandment. Nothing new, but absolutely true. God, help us to know these things. It's important for us. It's imperative for us to understand this. These are the last days of Christ's ministry on earth. This is the Tuesday before he dies. This will be pretty much the last communication before his you know, con- condemnation in Matthew 23. And so the Lord is sharing things that are so important, right? And so he tells us, number one, to understand our priority, the greatest commandment, to really love. To really love God and to love people. If you don't love, you don't know the Lord. Secondly, we need to look at his identity, and that is the greatness of Christ. Now, the Lord here takes the offensive. He takes the initiative here. The Pharisees were there gathered together and Jesus asked them in verse 41 and 42, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And so he said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Quoting from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son. Again, Jesus is now on the offensive. He's hoping to communicate who he is to them so that they might be saved. If they thought he was just a human being, if they thought he was just a son of David, just a descendant in that human lineage, then they would not have any hope. And so he tries to use the scriptures you know, with them I mean, they would know like the pat answer of the day when the Lord asked them, what do you think about the Christ whose son is he? You know, as trained experts in the law, Pharisees, you know, lawyers, scribes, Sadducees, they all knew the answer that he was the son of David. You can look at the Old Testament, Second Samuel 7, Psalm 78, even Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They knew that the Christ would be the descendant of David. But the Lord wants them to realize that there's more to this than that. He says, and how then does David in the spirit, in other words, under divine inspiration, how does he say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1. He asked them this question. And for us, here's where it gets practical. You know, number one, the... Priority, very important. Number two, the identity, very important. David calls him Lord. How then is he just his son? You know, and if you guys think about it, how many of you here have sons, just out of curiosity? So you guys, wouldn't it be weird to call your son Lord? That would be kind of weird, you know? I mean, I would never call... Aaron Lord, even though I know he would like that. <laughs> I mean, it's just not, it's not right. I mean, I know he would love that title, but that's not the way it works. It's not logical. It's not really even spiritually legal. I would not call Aaron my son. You know, he's supposed to call me Lord, as a matter of fact, I think. <laughs> I'm his ancestor. I'm his dad, you know. 
In God's order, my son is called to submit to me, his dad, who loves him and wants the best for him. I'm not supposed to call him Lord. And so the Lord here brings before them this question. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And there's only one answer to that. As God, Messiah is David's Lord, and as man, he's his son. You know, in Revelation 22, verse 16, the Lord identified himself. He said, I am the root and offspring of David. And what the Lord was trying to share with them here is not just a matter of humanity, it's also a matter of deity. And this would turn out to be so important theologically and practically. You know, in those days, the most common title of the Messiah was the son of David. Behind it would lay the expectation, right? I mean, you guys know who David was in the Old Testament, right? He was the king. He was Israel's greatest king. Awesome king. Not a perfect man, but just a heart of gold. And, you know, the Jews, in looking for the son of David and identifying the Messiah simply as the son of David, unfortunately... They had their eyes here on earth. And it was all about the earthly kingdom. It was all about the political kingdom. It was all about the king coming in one day and kind of like conquering the Romans, setting up his kingdom. That's what we want. And it just became so base. They missed out on what the Messiah really was. He was so much more than that. He's not establishing an earthly kingdom. He's establishing a heavenly kingdom. But a lot of times what ends up happening is we, we lose sight of that. Even today, you know, in the world that we live in, I know we need to pray for our next president. And we need to pray I, you know, Proposition 8. I, I ask God to, to let it pass and Proposition 4 and all these things that are going on. And we just we do need to register. And if you're a Christian, you're not registered to vote, you need to register and you need to vote and you need to pray. And we need to ask God to do that work, you know, to establish a government that would honor him. But please make sure that you do not misconceive the whole goal of this. God is not cleaning this world. God is building a church. You see, that's the, the focus, you guys. I mean, some people, they're, all, they're, they're just all tied up in, you know, is it going to be McCain or is it going to be... Obama, what about this vice president? Now what's she going to do to this whole thing? And oh, she's conservative. And they're just, and you know what? And then on election day, their heart is there. Their heart is there. And if their guy doesn't win or their gal doesn't win, they're just like, you know, and they're just so bummed out. And why? Because Jesus said this, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And that really means that if your heart is here and it's all about the political agenda, if that's really what it's all about, then you're missing out really on what my kingdom's all about. You know, uh, I mean, I just pray, you guys, that we would know that God is more interested in building a church. And I'm just going to share this with you guys. And I don't know really how it's going to end up. I know some people get upset. They're very political as church pastors, you know. And I know we have a responsibility and we need to take care of our responsibilities. But did you know something? The church is more strong, they're more effective when the government is against them. Did you guys know that? You know what that does? It purifies the church. When there's persecution going on, when this pastor might be arrested for preaching the gospel, you know what? It'll thin out the crowds. It will thin out the pastors. You know, are you really here for the right reason? 
persecution, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And I'd rather have a pure church than a big church. And what we found is that when government, like Constantine, and they kind of get involved with church and it's all like one same thing, you know what you got? You got a whole bunch of people who are just there for the social activities. They're there just for the religion. I'd rather have a real strong church facing persecution, growing like that than a big church that's weak. And all I'm saying, you guys, is that let's just make sure that we understand that he's not just the son of David. He's the son of God. And that's why he tries to tell them, listen, you need to know this because when you understand that he's not just a political deliverer, but he will deliver you from your sins, that's when we realize, wow, this is what it's all about. God wants to come, like the video said, and forgive us. Greg Laurie said, how can I be mad at a God who forgave me of all my sins and forgave his son of all his sins and who right now is holding him in his arms in heaven. That's the God that we've got to focus on. God help us uh, today even, man, no matter where you're at or what you're going through. Let's all just lift up our eyes and let's look there, you guys. Unto the hills from whence our help comes. To lift up our eyes and to look to the Lord. And as we do, I believe God will do such a great work. Here we see the Lord was trying to communicate to them. Number one, the greatest commandment. And number two, the greatness of Christ. Trying to communicate, number one, the priority. And number two, the identity. And I pray that you and I would take this and we would go and that we would run with this. The Son of God, the King of Kings, was crucified on that cross for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for their sins and her sins and his sins. And then our agenda is just to be faithful. Man, wherever God puts us in the body, to be faithful. And then to go out into the highways and the byways. And whoever God brings into our path, to love them with God's agape love. This is really, you guys, what it's all about. Here we see in verse 46, no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. And so here these guys are, completely baffled by his wisdom. They finally gave up trying to trick him with questions. Next, they would try a different method, the method of violence. And they would kill him. But little did they know that when they killed him, they saved us as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stay focused, you guys. Let's not be distracted. To love God, to love our neighbors, and to know really who Jesus is and what the Messiah's mission is all about. Father, I thank you so much for your word, Lord, your love, your grace in our life. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts. Thank you for loving us. We know your word says we love you because you first loved us, Lord. And I pray you would stir up love in this church, Lord, that we would pray that, if possible, we would pay, that we would do what we can, what you've called us to do, Lord. 
as a church, Lord. And then when you look at this church right here, Father God, when you look at the hearts of the men and the women that are here and the children, Lord, that you would see love there. And if there's not love, Lord, that today we would repent. We would fear you and that we would love you, Lord. And just in case, real quick, man, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe someone invited you here today and you want to give your life to Christ, you want to be right, you want to know that when you die, you will go to heaven. You want to discover God's love today. Just in case, if you're here today, if that's you, if you want to get right with the Lord, you can do that. You just got to take a step of faith. What I'm going to ask you to do is to raise your hand right where you're at. If you would just raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Anyone here? Don't be afraid. It's a new start in life. Okay. Oh, Lord, uh, speak to our hearts. I know I can't give a message that would change anyone, Lord. Sometimes I try, but I can't. It's got to be you, Lord. It's got to be you, Lord, to, to speak to our hearts and to bring us where we need to be. And so I pray that you would. And I pray you bless your people, Father, your beautiful people that you love. We love you too. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.